No one will be admitted after the guests check in. on a pitch, feeling real good, feeling on my dick, working right, working hard every night, working hard, working hard until I die, I can't wait for this weight slavery to end, ooh la la, it is not my friend, I wish I was dead every single moment, I wish I was in a suicide club, whoa whoa, whoa whoa whoa, Jumping off a train with thing with my bro. Oh, I'm ready. All right. I feel good. All right. I feel good. Uh huh. I don't feel good. No. I feel great. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Welcome to Motel Hell. My name yeah. is Ben the Beardo. Woo Woo. And across from me is Dick Sofetti. Dick Sofetti, you ain't ready. No, I was ready. I was born ready. Were you though? Yeah, Fetty on Fetty on Fetty. <laughs> so, tonight we are doing a very interesting topic. It started out as one thing and then became another. Yeah. Uh, we were originally going to do a part two of our Asian serial murders, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it became to a very specific Asian serial murder type thing, I guess? Yeah. So we are covering Japanese... Serial killers who also basically weaponized suicide, which apparently is not that hard in Japan. And before we go any further, we want to start with a disclaimer that we do not in any way endorse suicide, think that it's cool, or suggest that anybody do it. It's obviously, if you struggle with self-destructive thoughts beyond what everyone struggles with, you know, you should talk to somebody, you should get help. There are suicide hotlines, there are websites, there are therapists and crisis centers and everything else in the world. And suicide is not a valid answer to any problem in life. It is a very permanent solution to what are generally temporary problems. And we don't encourage in any way people to do it. I fully agree with that. And, you know, make sure if you were in pain, not to suffer silently. Yeah, absolutely. And we will post a link to some kind of uh, suicide, whether it be national, international hotline, something like that. So, truly. And the other thing is, I had listened to a Freakonomics episode maybe six months ago about the way that suicide is reported affects how people perceive it and can lead to its own rash of suicides and things like that. Obviously, we our podcast is so small, I don't think we're going to have a rash of suicides, but... Truly, we, we don't want to encourage anybody or um, talk about it in a way in which anyone thinks it's an acceptable thing. Yes, but we are going to make horrible fun of these people who used it as a weapon. Yeah. Yeah, the the killers, the criminals themselves, absolutely. And we're, we're first going to talk about a hilarious and such an absurd movie that it's hard, it's impossible to take it seriously, but yeah. it is all in the same vein, and we are talking about the... 2001 Japanese film Suicide Club, or as it's known in Japan, Suicide Circle. And that was done by Sion Sono, who is now a famous cult director in Japan and started off as a gay pornographic filmmaker, but this was his debut film. 
Yeah, I uh, I I had never seen it before. Uh, Dick Fetty had. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was going to be this like weird, maybe supernatural drama. Mm-hmm. And uh, about an hour in, got super anime. Yeah. Did not see that shit coming. Yeah. So the film primarily stars the main actor from Audition by Takashi Miike, for those who have seen it. Which is he? He's really good. It's it's weird. It starts off with this incredible. So if you have any interest in this movie, it's a it's a good, not early early, but you know early two thousands Asian extreme cinema type of film. Yeah. So if you're into that kind of thing and you haven't seen it, then just skip the next fifteen minutes, ten minutes or so of the film review. But anyway, spoiler alert: the beginning starts where fifty four girls jump in front of a JR train. In their school schoolgirl uniforms in the whole nine yards, blood Which are goes always everywhere. on time. Yeah, and it's totally bananas. It's it's completely absurd the way it's done. And then basically, people keep committing suicide for the next two hours. And the police are trying to investigate what they think is maybe like a suicide cult or maybe something else. And you know, most of the cops are like, "This is all coincidence. It's all accidents." And the main guy's like, "No, this is definitely something more serious." <laughs> And it yeah. goes from there. I, I honestly thought, because like, they're picking up clues, and there's this like weird... It almost seemed like a crime drama at first, with mm-hmm. like a little bit of horror tacked onto it. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a good example. Uh, what was that one where with the serial killer who died, who was jumping bodies? What was that movie? I don't know. No, whatever. I thought it was going to be like partially police procedural. Yeah. Partially... Uh, Partially, maybe supernatural or something like that, and then it took a left turn into JoJo's Bizarre Adventure slash musical, and then a right turn into the end of Evangelion. Yeah, so quick that my fucking head spun. Yeah, it's it's cool because it's very Japanese. It reminded me of when we finally watched Naked Blood. Uh, that sort of this is uniquely a film from this country. You know, yeah. it's a hundred percent a product of Japan, and. Basically, there it gets really into like this pseudo philosophy that's not particularly deep or meaningful or anything like that. But they add in all this, you know, people asking other people these sort of pseudo rhetorical questions about like who are you and how are you connected to yourself, and people are going through these realizations or not and committing committing suicide or not. And it, you know, there's there's kids, there's like random animals, there's pop idols. It's it's all of all these different. Japanese cultural signifiers make their way into the film and it's real it's real weird like it's not I feel like it tries to be deeper than it is or maybe it's just trying to be weird or both I think in some ways it's an effective portrayal of the constant cognitive dissonance of city living especially in Japan and like all the different influences and the questions the existential questions we have about our existence but also I think I'm giving it more credit than it maybe deserves well, yeah. At the same time, I also think it's a lot about escapism, because mm-hmm. it, it delves entirely around these websites and this play, pop idol group that called Dessert, <laughs> called Dessert, which uh, has hidden suicide meanings in it, which almost seems like very like satanic panic or like, um, like like church people talking about like Pokemon's the devil and it's gonna make your kids kill people and kill themselves. Yeah, and it has this sort of classic Japanese theme. It's not just Japanese, but they, they've been harping on it for a long time. <coughs> Excuse me. Of youth and rebellion. But it's sort of a subversion of the normal 
youth and rebellion tropes to a point, but also most of those movies end with the main characters committing suicide because they're trapped in a world that can't accept who they are or they can't accept it. And this is sort of like that taken to the extreme. So Yeah, I felt a little bit let down from the end. Only Maybe it's because I've already seen Evangelion. Yeah. And it's not much different. Yeah. And I, I saw this movie originally when I was probably 16 or 17, and we skipped through a lot of the boring parts and mostly watched a lot of the murders. And even then, I was less than impressed. But it's it's worth watching because it's, it's an interesting product of Japanese extreme cinema. And, you know, considering it goes right in with our topic, it was just sort of like the mandatory film we should watch. But as far as the rating goes... Probably a 7 out of 10. Like, it is rewatchable because the horror and splatter elements of it are so ridiculous, but also, like, gruesome that it's it's worth watching for that aspect of it. And the weird parts make it fun for what could otherwise have been boring or, you know, over like, overly self-indulgent. I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10 only just because of... The, I like the cinematography. Mm-hmm. I like the characters, but everything seemed juxtaposition. After, like, an hour into the movie. Yeah. Like, pretty much once the Suicide Club came into it, air quotes on that bitch, mm-hmm. um, it got real ridiculous for me. And uh, it, it's a fun movie to watch with people. I don't know. Like, if I watched it alone, I probably would have hated it. Yeah. All right. So, um, I'm going to go first, I guess. Yeah. So, I'm not entirely sure how to say this guy's last name. I watched a couple of videos. Well... One of the videos was in English, the other one was in Spanish, so I didn't really watch the second one so much, yeah. but uh, Hiroshi Maui, Maui, it's M-A-E-U-E. So, Maui, May- I would think. Maui, okay. So, he was born in Osaka Prefecture in Japan, uh, August 8th, 1968. He was known as the Suicide Website Murderer and the Suicide Pack Strangler. He killed three people, uh, big into strangling them. Mm-hmm. That was his, that was his jam. He killed from February nineteenth, two thousand five, to June tenth, two thousand five. So wasn't that long. Um, I pulled all this stuff from like Wikipedia, Murderpedia, and the one thing that had the most information I could find about this because there really wasn't much was a Japan Times article and from like August seventh, two thousand five. So like right after they caught him. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's some other stuff I'm going to talk about because it actually does go into this whole Suicide Club thing that I read in an article on The Atlantic okay, and NBC News. So there really isn't much known about the guy prior to the killings. He attended uh, Kanazawa Institute of Technology where he attacked, it, he attacked and attempted to strangle a male acquaintance. And then after that, he dropped out in 1988. And then in 1995, he was arrested for beating and attempting to strangle a co-worker. And he wasn't charged, but he was fired. And then in 2001, he was sentenced to three years for the attempted strangling of two women. Wow. So, so this like, guy's he, got some, some rage in him. Well, he's also consistent, you know? Yeah. He keeps trying, he keeps trying, and, you know, nothing's really stopping him. There was some really weird shit that, um... So if you want to go check out the video... I don't know how credible this guy is because I couldn't find any of this information, but maybe he's just a better researcher than I am. Maybe he speaks Japanese. Maybe. 
I don't think so, though. He had a really thick British accent. Mm. I think his name was Dead Bug. Okay. I think it's Dead Bug. Yeah. So this is on YouTube? This is on YouTube. Okay. And I, he does other videos like this, but he mentioned that he was in the, that Hiroshi was into this special, this like dis- disabled person's wrestling oh, league. You, you told me I about told this. you about this. Yeah. And there was a documentary about it called Dog Leg, which I think is what they call the actual thing. Okay. So it's like people who are have cerebral palsy or Down syndrome. Apparently they're really into it. I haven't watched the documentary. But apparently it's not like a force thing. Allegedly they're not being yeah. exploited. They're doing it willingly. Who the fuck knows? Yeah. They're into but, wild shit in Japan. But apparently he was like really into it. Mind you, this is all conjecture. I have no idea how honest any of this is. Although I will say that, you know, the Japanese are crazy into wrestling generally. And they're really crazy re- into um, Mexican wrestling. And when I lived in Japan, there was a, a bar in, in Osaka that all they played was Mexican wrestling videos. And it was all Mexican themed. And it was one of the few places you get Coronas and tequila. And I got very shit housed in that bar several times while eating... Uh, pseudo nachos and watching midgets like you know Mexican wrestling midgets wrestle and it was really incredible it was a good time (laughs) it was a really good time well apparently I have a buddy who's very very into wrestling like very into wrestling who's that Doug do you know Doug I think so yeah he's Priscilla's husband oh yeah 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 so he's like super into wrestling their kids are super into wrestling he watches the pay-per-views and shit and I asked him because Wrestling's like the one nerd for way for foray that I've never like gone into yeah. since I was much younger. I was like, well, where do I start? He's like, honestly, dude, just watch Japanese wrestling. They're the ones doing the good shit right now. And I was like, huh. Yeah, Sonata Cold Skull is one of the coolest wrestlers uh, like around right now. He's awesome. I follow him on Instagram and his uh, wrestling like studio dojo whatever. It's fucking. It's just much like tan, super buff Japanese dude with the most glittery clothes you've ever seen. Just, everything I want. Yeah, it's really good. We should watch some sometime. Uh, my my old roommate Chris turned me on to Sonata. When I was in Japan, I almost bought like a seventy dollars Sonata Cold School shirt. I was it was very cool. I'm surprised you didn't. I I it wasn't in my size. It was like already too small. And I'm like, oh, this would be crazy. I thought you were gonna be like, it was too big. I was like, no. who cares? Yeah, no, that wouldn't be an issue. But they, he also claimed like he was attracted to. I can't remember the Japanese word for it, but like the broken is okay. what it translates to. Okay. So people with disabilities and all this other stuff. And then it claims that at a bar with one of his co-workers, the one that he, one of the people he worked with when he choked somebody out at work, uh, he told about this. Mm. And it also claimed that one of his killings, like that's how he lured him in because he was really into disabled wrestling and everything too. And I don't know how true any of that shit is. The guy has names in there that were never released to the public, so I don't know how true it is. But it's a fun video. The production yeah. value's good. And it's very, like, gritty, like, New York, old-school cop. Where it's like... It's just... Watch the video. It's ridiculous. Go give him some views. Tell him we sent you. So... He served three years for that attempted strangling of the two women. And then he was released for good behavior. And then... Once again, attempted to strangle a woman in 2002 and was arrested and served two more years. Okay. So, this is something I I wanted to bring up. So, trigger warning for anybody who is, you know, who gets bothered by suicide talk and stuff like that. But, um, early 2000s internet suicide packs and suicide clubs 
started to like really come into their own. Mm-hmm. And the sites were specific for like finding partners to commit suicide with, and then there were others that were more geared towards how to commit the suicide. Okay. And then this is something that I could probably do a whole episode on just because I found it interesting and strange. But from 2003 through 2005, 180 people died in 61 reported cases of internet-assisted group suicide in Japan. Wow. All but two of these cases followed the same lines, which were as follows. Once again, trigger warning for anyone listening. The victims would meet online... They would use anonymous screen names, and then they would take sleeping pills and use uh, briquettes, the charcoal yeah. burners, and then they would briquettes. Seal, briquettes. They yeah. would seal up a car or a room or wherever they were, Carbon. and then and that would suck out all the oxygen, yeah. and they die. So, so with this growing popularity of internet suicide packs, uh, Hiroshi decided to like take it upon himself to strike and kind of make this his way of collecting victims. He'd go on the sites, he'd find victims. Uh, He had a psychosexual paraphilia, which he could only achieve sexual release from choking somebody. Which we talked about in our earlier episode about body dysmorphia, choking as an erotic paraphilia, and what was the one you had? Uh, she, She had Alice in Wonderland syndrome, and you had... The My, amputee thing, right? BIID. Yeah. Body Integrity Identity Disorder. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, the, you guys should check that out. It's it's before we had the nice mic, but it's a good episode. Yeah, it's a very informative episode. So he would lure his victims, and he'd be like, hey, you know, we're going to we're gonna fucking commit suicide. It's going to oh, be yeah. so great and so awesome. We're going to love it. And he'd be like, yeah, we're going to use a charcoal burner, and he'd rent a car, he'd go get them, and then he'd drive them out to the wilderness, and then he'd choke them to death. And he would ejaculate in his pants. And then, and then he would just kind of dump the body and drive off. So his first victim, which is like the the only one whose name I could find, uh, the other two were um, pretty young. But it was, this was like the main one, this is how they caught him, mm-hmm. was a 25-year-old Michiko Nagamoto, who he strangled to death on February 19th. They'd met on a suicide pack site, and they exchanged emails about 20 times or so, and then decided to meet up in person and commit suicide together. Uh, Nagamoto's body ended up being found on February 23rd in the mountains area of Kawachi Nagano. Killed it, which is also in Saka. So all of this took place pretty much right around where he was born, which I most serial killers end up doing, but yeah. he, he stayed in Osaka for pretty much all of it. Um, she had to be identified by her fingerprints. Okay. Uh, the police dragged him down through the emails, through the car he rented, and they caught him, and then after that, he admitted to killing her, He and then he told them that he felt sexually excited to see a person being suffocated and suffering in agony. There's also this weird thing where, like, he told police that he got this idea for strangling people from some old detective novel, that he read. I tried to figure out what it was. Nothing. It was probably called the Strangler. <laughs> the strang- the Strangle strangle mixed Strangle Pants. Yeah, or the hand that chokes the, the air. The ever-closing fist upon a windpipe. It's Japanese, so it's probably something like really poetic. Oh no, it's probably an American pulp novel that was poorly translated in Japanese. And he picked it up at some... Choku Maximinu. Okay. 
That's probably, that's what it was called. I just I found it in my notes. You're right. You're right. Yep. <laughs> so, um, after that, he was like, "Yeah, I also killed a male junior high student in June, who was uh, 14." So, so when did he get arrested? He got arrested on August. He got arrested in August. Okay. Around August seventh. It wasn't long. It wasn't long out before the actual article I read was published. So. He also killed a 21-year-old college student, um, which they corroborated as being true. He wasn't corroborated. Corroborated, yeah. Corroborated. Co- 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 he corroborated that it was true mm. with the police. Uh, trial really wasn't much even to find out about that either. Uh, the prosecutors called him a lust murderer. Uh, March 28, 2007, the Osaka District Court sentenced him to death. And his defense team launched an appeal. He accepted the judgment of the court and expressed a willingness to pay for his crimes with his life, retracting his appeal on July 5th, 2007. And then on July 28th, 2009, Hiroshi Maui was hanged in Osaka along with 25-year-old condemned criminal Yukio Yamaji, who was also did some heinous shit, but I didn't go into that. But um, honestly, the thing I found the most interesting about it was like this this like string of 180 suicides that mm-hmm. was all very cookie cutter and very um, similar in ways. There was one story I read which was really horrible about all these people met up and they put themselves in a room and they used a coal burner and they sealed up all the windows and it's just it's it's awful. It's it's so bad. His stuff I really couldn't find too much on, mm-hmm. just because, I mean, one, it's not that old, and two, it wasn't really publicized. He didn't talk to the press all that much. Yeah. So, or well, at all. And that's, you know, we we have found in our research, both in our original episode and doing this, that a part of it is, as far as Asian crime goes, and especially in Japan, they are, it's publicized in newspapers, but there's not... There's not the same level of English language information as there would be for a crime in the United States or in Europe even. And between the language barrier and also just like a difference in the way they report things from the courtroom and from what's happening in the criminal process, it's just different in Japan. Well, I also think that it's not as... There's not as a, much of a want for the press to go and interview these guys. Yeah, and I don't I don't know whether that's true or not, but... Or they're just not allowed. I don't know what the laws are like over there, but... Well, I, I mean, I can say that the... It was interesting because when I did my original subject, whose name eludes me right now, he he gave extensive testimony in court, as well as his accomplice, and they had extensive testimony from his, some of the victims that had escaped... And I guess, I don't know whether those proceedings were public or whether the court documents were just made public after the fact. You could read the transcripts and whatever. But they had a ton of information. And there was an you know an extensive history of his whole background. I mean, it took me an hour to go through it all. And that was in the 90s. And we haven't had anything, at least any of the cases that I looked into in preparation for this episode, none of them had that level of resource. And I don't think it's because they're not as old. I just think they... Not every case just has that level of gritty detail. And this is, you know, it's a relatively low body count. I mean, true, but so was, like, my the guy I covered, Ratman, you know? Yeah, but he killed children. Right, but still, like, so did this guy, and from everything I researched, because for a while... They I wasn't weren't even, children, they were adults. One of them was a 14-year-old boy. 
Oh, I missed And the other one was 21 years old. Wow. The college student was 21 and then a 14-year-old high school student. Okay. Um, And that video said things like the 14-year-old high school student was like, got turned down by a girl or some shit. I don't know how much of that video is true. If you watch it, watch it knowing that it might not be true. Massive grains of salt. Um, But it, it seems to me that as far as Japanese killers go, the two that we picked out for our previous episode were the ones that had the most information about them. And I think one of the main reasons that I can't remember his actual name either, but Ratman had so much information about him was because they also used his case as a way to be like, anime and manga are bad. Yeah. It's going to make you kill people and kill children and cut them up and eat them. Yeah, well, he was one of the main reasons that the word otaku became known and understood in English language countries because he was the otaku killer. Right. So, every one of his articles always talks, it starts with, like, otaku means blah, blah, blah in Japan, you know, means fanatic. Like, it's, so. I was just surprised that most of the stuff I read really, I guess, the one, the one article, because I, I couldn't find any really other official articles about it, was the one from Japan, and they didn't really go into the whole Suicide Club thing that was going on and how he used that. Maybe because they didn't want to publicize it as yeah. much. But... Fuck that dude, man. I'm yeah. glad they hung him. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I covered the very recent serial killer, Takahiro Shiraishi, who was caught last year on Halloween 2017. Ooh, spooky. Yeah, in Zama, Japan, in the Kamagawa Prefecture. And to give a little info, so I'm going to go a little bit into his background before we get to what happened. So, Takahiro... The first thing I'll say is, one of the first things you'll read, aside from the grisly details of the crime scene, is that he was, for a short time, a recruiter for a prostitution ring. And, like, that's one of the only juicy details from the case, so you just see it over and over and over. And I don't really think it particularly means much, but they love to harp on this shit, but I will get there. So, he grew up in Zama, roughly about 2.5 kilometers uh, from his current apartment where he was apprehended he has a sister he grew up with his mom and his dad but at some point i think in high school his mom and sister left and i think his parents got a divorce although it wasn't entirely clear i got most of my information from new york times articles from the past six to nine months mostly they are from november to january of this year but there's a couple later ones and i'll point to them as I go through them in a minute. So he was described as a scrawny teenager who played baseball as a freshman and uh, did track as a senior. He went to high school in Yokohama Prefecture. Sounds like every Japanese kid. Right? He graduated in 2009, and from 2009 to 2017, he had a series of odd jobs, or just regular jobs, depending on how you look at it. (laughs) He was a supermarket clerk for two years. They would be like, he was an octopus wrangler for a year. <laughs> yeah. He fixed roller skates for six months. No, no, no. He, he worked in a food factory at one point. He worked in a pachinko parlor at another. And eventually he worked as a talent scout for a prostitution ring. Basically, it's like that scene in Perfect Blue where the guy's like, have you ever considered being a model? And she's like, a model? And then it cuts to the next thing. And... I imagine he just went up to women and was like, "Hey, you want to know, what, are you trying pictures? to fuck for money or what's yeah, up?" Yeah, well, I don't, I don't think that it's that obvious. You know, I think most of the time with this sex work stuff, they always 
you know, bring you in with promises of other types of work and whatnot. Do you want to be a cosmetologist where you get to wash men? Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> <laughs> Soap City, baby. Um, so, yeah, his parents split up in high school. He continued to live with his father until August of 2017. I couldn't figure out where his mother and sister moved to. But his dad worked at a local automotive design workshop. So I don't know if that's like a body body repair workshop or they do paint or they do like... He after did all the cool decals for Tokyo Drifters. He, he might have done that. He might have done aftermarket body work. He was the initial D. He was the D in initial D. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> and, uh, occasionally, our guy worked at the workshop with his dad... He was close to his father. He would go out drinking with him, and you know they lived together until right before the murder started happening. I mean, like literally days after he moved out, he he killed his first victim. It's insane. He went like instantly into. Well, it's like mode. when you move out and you finally buy your first bong. Yeah. Except or, in this case, a bong is a dead body. Yeah. Well, he didn't buy it though. He made it. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, he spent nights. Um, like I said, eating and drinking with his dad, things like that. He's like all around a normal guy. And he got arrested for the prostitution scouting thing. Did a little bit of time, but it doesn't seem to be, in my opinion, indicative of anything. Well, prostitution is legal in certain parts of Japan to a degree, right? I don't know. That to be like, true. I think in... Oh, God, I watched a documentary a while ago called The Happiness Space, which was about like a male host club, and they talk about how... There's certain areas in Japan where vaginal isn't legal, but, like, mouth stuff and, like, hand stuff is good, like Soap City and all that shit. Yeah, there may be gray areas. I think that it's probably more to do with systemic corruption and the way that organized crime works in Japan where everybody agrees to not prosecute and do much about certain types of crimes. And so get really cool tattoos. Yeah, so I don't know... I, I, I don't know whether that's true or not, but it doesn't really matter. Apparently what he was doing was illegal enough for him to get caught, so I don't know whether he was particularly bad at it or he was just like given up as a sacrificial lamb in a larger crime bust or something like that. I guess we'll find out when we go to Japan. Yeah, but needless to say, in August of 2017, he confessed to his father that he met the love of his life and would urgently like to have his own space. His dad guaranteed on the lease for his apartment in Zama, which was, um, like I said, 2.5 kilometers from where I grew up, which is like a very small distance. And this is what blew my mind more than anything. His studio apartment, do you know how much it was? It wasn't even a studio. It was like a loft apartment. So the bed was over the main space and whatever. It was very classic Japanese. $250. No, $180 a month. Fuck him. Yeah, $180 a month. This is, I thought like Japan living space was so wildly expensive, and maybe it's just all small. Wait, where was this in Japan? In Zama. It's outside of Tokyo, so... So it's like city limits, or no? Well, it's in the Tokyo metropolitan area, I believe, but to understand Tokyo, like it's not like New York City, where it's this hyper-condensed, but very small overall range of space and, and like what constitutes the city. Tokyo is like ultra condensed, but at the same time stretches on endlessly. When you go to the highest building in the center of Tokyo in Shinjuku, it's this um, <clears throat> government building that you can go to the 40th floor of, and they have like a view out everywhere. Maybe it's like the 50th floor. 
And literally, you can only... The only place where there's not endless sprawling city is the ocean. So, I believe that it was in the greater metropolitan area. Okay. I looked it up on the map when I originally did the research, but it's uh, escaping me exactly how far it was. But it wasn't particularly far from Tokyo. So, um, he moved in August 22nd, 2017, and he killed his first victim by the end of the month. So... Yeah, he just really... Yeah. Really got into it. So he had two Twitter accounts which he used to lure his victims. One was called I Want to Die and the other was Hanging Pro. I found Those the... Those are a bit on the fucking nose, don't yeah. you think? Yeah, so uh, it worked, though. He killed nine people. and To be fair, pretty good names. Yeah, so Hanging Pro, he had like this anime character with slashed wrists and a... Ugh. Uh, a noose around its neck and it was like he was a hanging professional and it basically said on the profile like you know if you're in pain and you want to die come talk to me and I'll help you and Hanging Pro sounds like a screen name you'd find on like a like a kink site yeah which is really into auto erotic asphyxiation or just erotic asphyxiation yeah no I don't disagree and I did try to look up so I found the specific his specific handle for Hanging Pro which is, I think it is just literally hang, at Hang Pro, and the count's been suspended, because I was well, hoping I could. Which made sense, it was, I was glad to see that. You can find screen grabs or anything? I did find screen grabs, that's how I found it in the first place, but they weren't, they were like from the time, but not, there wasn't much substantial. Like, if I could have run all of his posts through a translator, it would have been some juicy information, yeah. but that's not available. So, on Halloween of 2017... Police uncovered a grisly house of horrors behind Shirashi's front door. Nine dismembered bodies with as many as 240 bone parts stashed in coolers and toolboxes sprinkled with cat litter to hide in a bid to hide the evidence. Did that work? No. <laughs> so, Jesus Christ. Yeah, people knew him as a quiet um, guy who was able to socialize with his neighbors, no problem. You know, nobody really had anything bad to say about him before well, this. also Japan. For the most part, people just keep to themselves. Yeah, right, like, are quiet. It's and... just like, hello, and that's it. Yeah, so, you know, they talk about, to go back a little bit to his upbringing, you know, at school his grades were far from stellar, but he was an attentive pupil who didn't especially stand out, but was not a gloomy character either, according to a former classmate uh, cited in the Asahi Shimbun, which is the newspaper. Uh, this This information is coming from sbs.com.au which is i think um a ja or an australian newspaper rather so <clears throat> he there allegedly uh were warning signs one elementary school contemporary told the uh fuji tv network that shiraishi and his friends enjoyed choking each other for fun he once passed out while playing the choking game the man said uh but he did not wish to be identified further I mean, I don't take a lot from yeah. that. I did all sorts of weird shit when I was a kid, so... Also, on top of it, every time something like this happens, there's people who come out of the woodwork who, like, oh, I fuck, I knew him, man. He used to fucking stick whole lizards up his ass, you know? <laughs> Right, exactly. So, I mean, the reason that's relevant is that most of the bodies, that they weren't completely decomposed and stripped of uh, all their meat and all the rest, um, were... <laughs> showed signs of strangulation as the um, method of murder. But, again, like, I don't know that doing weird shit like strangling your friends... Like, not strangling, strangling, but, like, you know, choking your friends a little bit when you're a kid is a indicative... A lot of people of, experimented with a choking game. Yeah, right. 
Don't experiment with the choking game. Just wanted to put that out there real quick. So there was one woman who claimed that she had been in a relationship with him in 2016. She described him as a gentle character who was never never angry with women. She said, when I told him that I wanted to break up, he hugged me and said something like, don't go. And, you know, that's what she said to Fuji TV. Again, like, totally possible, just not indicative. The, what struck me about this story was there's, aside from what the police found at his house and the murders themselves and the berserker pace at which he went from the beginning, like, there's nothing that extraordinary. There's no, there's no like, obvious warning signs like you would read about leading up to it and may more evidence may come to light in the future but what shirashi says when he describes like there's limited tv interviews for him and information i've gotten from them thus far is that he did this for economic gain he wanted to lead quote unquote an easy life according to him and he saw this market's not the right word but he saw these vulnerable people who he could take advantage of and say, like, I will commit suicide with you and then just kill them, take their stuff. And well, it seems like the, the two different accounts were, and I don't know if this came up in your research for two different things. There was the one that was what I, I want to die was the mm -hmm. one. And then the, the, the hanging pro. Yeah. And here, so, this is the, this is his hanging pro character. This is his website or his, uh, a screen grab from his, Oh, that's unfortunate. Twitter. That's cute. Oh, his his tie is a noose. Yeah. I will ah. post these pictures on the Instagram. Wow. Well, it seems like the one account was like, I'll help you kill yourself. The other one was like, I want to die. You want to die with me? Yeah. How is he going to get any economic gain from killing people, though? Because they come with their shit. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, girls come with their, their wallets, their credit cards, all their stuff. Like, mm. you know, you can sell people's phones, whatever. So the first girl he killed, uh, he borrowed, I think it was like $3,500 allegedly to get rent for a new apartment or something like that. And then she lent him the money. And it seems like she lent him the money before they met up and then he finally killed her. Um, <clears throat> so there was, I mean, he was definitely making money from what he was doing. And I'll get to that a little bit more in a second. So, so it was almost uh, to a point like kind of more like a, H.H. Holmes thing where he was killing for gain versus just pleasure, although I'm yeah. sure he got some pleasure from yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. So he said <clears throat> he told investigators that he killed his victims as soon as he met them and then did some work on their bodies to cover up his alleged crimes. And uh, he further went on to say that <clears throat> the first time he dismembered a body, it took him three days, but uh, from the second person on, I was able to do it within a day. Well, the more you do something, you better the better you get at it. Yeah, right. So several media reports uh, say that the police found scissors, knives, and a saw and woodwork tools in his flat, which, like, okay, you know, sure. I'm sure he used what he had on hand. And uh, supposedly there was a former hostess uh, that said on Twitter that she had contacted Shirashi and was going to meet up with him. But when she talked to him on the phone, she heard what sounded like a girl being strangled or, like, suffocating in the background. And she was like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. Which I believe, and then she goes on to say, uh, you know, I just think if I had gone, this, I would have been another you victim. You believe that? That she did that, and that's what she heard. Maybe, I mean, I don't know. Like, people that do this shit are pretty fucking bold, and this guy was definitely bold to do it as quick as he did. Yeah. The one thing that made me 
not laugh, but was slightly humorous, was the neighbors talked about how, like, basically after he'd committed the first murder, his bathroom fan that went out to, like, to the outer wall and let air out, like an old school bathroom fan, was just on permanently. <laughs> so I'd fucking imagine so. Yeah, so this guy was was like Dennis Nilsson a little bit in the sense of he had a very small space to dispose of bodies, and he accumulated bodies much faster than Dennis Nilsson, but was just immediately like, holy shit, what am I supposed to do with all this? So he was, he basically stripped this, the uh, bodies as, you know, of their flesh. He broke down the bodies, um, like chopped them up into smaller pieces. And so I'll show you a diagram in a second of the, the house but essentially he had a bunch of coolers i don't know whether they were like the kind of cooler i would bring camping and put water bottles or beer or whatever in like igloos yeah right Igloo like for yeah. all of your needs or something more technical that doesn't really sound like Sub-Zero it sub-zero coolers so you want to keep your drinks cold buy sub-zero yeah, i don't this think this is not a payback <clears throat> yeah i don't think they were anything fancy and basically he just chopped people up and then covered them with kitty litter because he thought that would help with the smell which apparently it did not and there was just like coolers all over the house like it was just nothing but like full of body parts yeah no i have cats and two of them use one litter box and i can tell you you're gonna need a lot of fucking litter yeah so i also got more information from straits times article which is s-t-r-a-i-t-s i think this was a uh from I want to say it was Singapore, I think the newspaper it looked like it was from. But this is an article that came out on November 5th, 2017. And this had more information. So here's a picture of Shirashi. Again, I'll post I'll post all the pictures on the Instagram. He's so not, not a bad looking guy. No, not at all. He looks like a... You know who he kind of looks like in that picture? Uh, fucking Norman Reedus. Yeah. Yeah, you're not wrong. We're going to post a side-by-side -side of him and Norma Reedus on the uh, Instagram. You tell us your thoughts. So, <clears throat> yeah, on his uh, Hanging Pro account, it specifically said, I, I want to spread my knowledge of hanging. I really want to become the source of strength for everyone who is in pain. And then he said, if you are at a dead end, please consult me. He sought out his victims using the hashtag suicide recruitment on Twitter preying on young girls who wanted to take their own lives. He told them via direct messaging on Twitter, let's die together. So Shirashi would, um, to ensure his victims would not back out at the last minute, he would arrange to meet them at a train station near their homes, then travel together with them to his apartment. He said he gave them alcohol, tranquilizers, and sleeping pills to make them relax before assaulting them. So there's a couple things. The, he talks about in one of the news articles that I read that he specifically realized when he went to commit the first murder that this girl did not really want to die. She just wanted somebody to talk to. And I think this is a good time to break and say, again, you know, it's okay to have these kinds of feelings. It's not okay to not get help for them. Like if you're struggling with this stuff, don't go to some guy who's a quote unquote hanging pro talk to an actual, to professional. An actual professional please talk to somebody on a suicide hotline whether that's online on your phone whatever it is get help that way this is meeting up with somebody to commit suicide is fraught with peril especially in japan and while it almost sounds like a joke it really isn't um you know this guy preyed on people who were 
in pain. Right. Basically. So he realized that these people didn't want to die and that he was going to sort of have to coax them into it and then just kind of get them to drop their guard before he could kill them and then take their shit. And so that's what he would do. He would ply them with alcohol and drugs. And then <clears throat> he, uh, so the timeline was he killed one person in August, four in September and four in October, mostly on the same day he met them. Eight of the nine victims were women, mainly in their late teens uh, to early 20s. He said the motives uh, were sex and money. He alleged to have choked his victims until they passed out before sexually assaulting some of them. He says, there is no doubt that I sliced up the bodies in my bathroom with the intention of destroying the evidence. Police have recovered two kitchen knives, a saw, binding rope, and a gimlet, all with traces of blood on them. What exactly is a gimlet? I don't know. We're going to have to look that up and, and figure it out. <laughs> post, we'll post a picture of a gimlet, too. So, um, Shirashi said, I disposed of their flesh and internal organs like garbage, but kept their bones out of fear that I would be caught. And he was throwing these uh, bags of human flesh like in his neighborhood dumpster and other stuff like that. Like He was stupid. And, you know, I mean, he's obviously a piece of shit, but he was also just like impulsive in the extreme. His neighbors said that they had um, consistently complained of a pungent smell emanating from his apartment, but I think in classic Japanese fashion, nobody wanted to get too involved or be too much of a busybody, so it just kept happening. It was it was a lot like the guy I covered in my first episode, who, again, his name eludes me, but, you know, was torturing people in apartment fucking, you know, rooms, yeah. and, like, nobody was saying or doing anything about it, so... Well, nobody wants to bother the stinky weirdo. Yeah, absolutely. Although, maybe you should. Uh, so that we can give a little bit of information on the victims in this case. Uh, Kari Suda was 17. I think I don't believe that these, these are in the order of which they were killed. So, I apologize if that's misleading. But uh, she was from Fukushima Prefecture. There was... Kurue Ishihara, she was 15, from Oura, uh, Gunma Prefecture. Natsumi Kubo, 17, from Saitama Prefecture. Uh, Hinako Sarashina, she was 19, from Tokorozawa, Saitama Prefecture. Hitomi Fujima, uh, 26, from Kasukabe, in the Saitama Prefecture. Aiko Tamura, 23, from Achioji, Tokyo. Uh, Mizuki Miura, who was 21, from Atsugi, Kanagawa Prefecture. Shogo Nishinaka, who was his one male um, uh, victim, 20, from Yokosuka, Kanagawa Prefecture. And Kazumi Maruyama, who was 25, from Yokohama, Kanagawa Prefecture. Do you have the picture of the uh, layout of the... Yeah, I'll get to that in okay. a sec. I'm trying to figure it out in my head how he got away with bringing these people into his apartment and be like, all right, just relax here, drink this, take these. It, it's a good question. I think in part, like, he couldn't have gone on for much longer with the house the way it was because I'm sure that for any of these people, after the even honestly first victim, I'm sure it smelled fucking horrible in his house and they must have been immediately, like, 
uneasy and disquieted by the fact that there was a stinky cooler with like cat litter around it and shit like that. Right. And you know, some really creepy dude being like, yeah, we're totally going to kill ourselves. Like, you know, blah, 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 here, drink this, take this. And then, you know, uh, the victims were identified relatively quickly because most of their personal effects were still at his house. He had IDs, he had wallets, he had handbags, all the rest. But identifying the specific remains with the people has been an issue and it took the police months of DNA testing and other things to basically do that and then be able to give the remains back to the families who all wanted to have right. the proper burials for their loved ones. So, I mean, you know, the part of what makes this so terrible is that most of these were really young people. Like, you know, it's the classic, like they're people in pain who are vulnerable and he preyed on them. The one... Uh, guy that he killed was only killed because he confronted Shirashi about the whereabouts of his girlfriend, who was his first victim, who I believed was, uh, let's see, I think it was Akari Suda, who was 17, and he went to figure out what the hell happened to his girlfriend, and the guy killed him, um... And so that was the one male victim. Yeah, to not get caught. Uh, let's see. Shogo Nishinaka was an known as an enthusiastic bass guitarist who played in a band while working at a facility for handicapped people. Nishinaka, who lived in Yokosuka, Kanagawa Prefecture, had spoken of his plans to tour with his band, according to an acquaintance. Oh, and I'm sorry. So the first victim was Mizuki Miura, a 21-year-old logistics company employee from Atsugi, Kanagawa Prefecture who left a note for her family saying she wanted to live alone. According to investigators, Shirashi allegedly asked Miura to live with him and received uh, 500,000 yen, which is, they have here $4,400, but would have been, yeah, no, that's about right. So the, the trick is when you're trying to translate yen, it's, you just take the two last two numbers off, and mm -hmm. that's like the dollar value minus a little bit because the yen's pretty weak right now. Motel Hell, teaching you exchange rates. Um, a friend said she was a gentle and kind person. I can't believe something like this happened to a person I knew. So that information came from Kyoto News, which is K-Y-O-D-O. -O. That's from a November 10th, 2017 article. Kyoto. My birthday. Oh, it is your birthday. So this is the layout of the home. You can see these, all of these are coolers filled with human remains. Where the fuck did he sit them down? I don't know. I guess he brought them up to the loft. You think they just walked in there like, you going camping or something? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, granted, I don't think the one box would have been right in the front if they had been there. Maybe he moved them to the bathroom or something when they were there. When he got caught, it wasn't in the act. It was, yeah. you know. So, uh, Shirashi was caught when the brother of his ninth and final victim, a 23-year-old woman from the Tokyo suburb of Hachioji, um, hacked into her Twitter account and was offered help by a woman who had met Shirashi before. And basically, he got the information uh, from the Twitter account and she agreed to help him bait Shirashi uh, to lure him out for the police, who then followed him home on October 30th. So, uh, I think she set up an, an a date to meet up and they would commit suicide together and then when he came the police tailed him tailed him back to his house because she didn't know where it was and then they came and arrested him the next day 
So part of what makes it interesting is what's happened since. So they have issued, at the time of the last article I read, which was, uh, so I guess I had one from September of this year. But the second to last article was uh, from March 22nd, 2018 from the Japan Times. There had been 10 arrest warrants issued for uh, Shirashi. And I think basically what they mean by that is they brought him in for questioning under an arrest warrant multiple times. But they hadn't... I don't know whether they didn't hold him or exactly what was happening with that. It wasn't super clear to me whether he was behind bars the whole time. It seems like they had enough information to hold him. Yeah. I would assume coolers full of bodies. Yeah. I would assume that they were holding him the entire time, but perhaps they weren't, but they basically spent from the beginning of this year up until September, a long time. And I guess, yeah, they must've had him in, in um, custody because they had a team of psychologists analyze him to make sure that he was fit to stand trial and that he wasn't insane and couldn't use an insanity defense because that was their initial concern given the horrific nature of the crimes his remorselessness about it his openness like from the get-go once he got arrested with the police about like what he did and why he did it and now as of september 10th 2018 according to the japan times article i read they determined that he was fit to stand trial and would be tried for all nine of the murders um and as far as i know he's awaiting trial now like it's even though they have so much evidence it's going to be a massive case the amount of victims and uh everything that they have they they want to build like i think an airtight case against him i don't think that it's going to be hard because again he confessed and it's also japan so once they decide to convict somebody it happens well if they get the confession it's it's essentially a done deal in japan yeah so, um, that being said, they, but they have to go, they still have to do everything they need to do in order to try him, you know, correctly. So they are going to do that. Uh, I think we'll get more information about this as it happens. And the only thing I can really say that's positive out of this is that the government is at least talking about spending more money to fund nonprofit organizations that help people with suicidal thoughts. And one of the things they said was, they particularly are having success with is a some kind of it looks like it's a I don't know whether it's an app or a website but people can access it from their phone and essentially I think it's almost like a text message type hotline where you say like I'm struggling and then somebody immediately reaches out to you and they're having way higher numbers of people using that rather than calling the hotlines but we talked about it in one of our previous news episodes where you know, they have these child abuse hotlines yeah. that aren't toll free. People hang up. They're like long waits to actually talk to somebody and people just like just don't report this stuff. And so it's incredible to me in a country that has such a high suicide rate for like people of so many different ages, groups, like sex, the whole nine, that they wouldn't be doing more. But I think it also speaks to Japan's constant bureaucratic quagmire where like basic services that are so obviously needed are not getting funded and the problems are not being understood and dealt with in a meaningful way well there are um and the articles i read about uh these suicide packs with the coal burners and everything they are trying to shut down these sites but every time you do more pop up and you can't really arrest somebody for making a website 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, if you're using social media platforms like Twitter or Facebook or, God forbid, MySpace, which is still relatively popular in Japan, oddly enough. Really? Yeah, they're so weird with internet there. Um, you know, there there's no way to, to limit this. Like, there is free speech. And 99% of the time, people don't have nefarious alternatives. Like, they just want somebody to talk to and they're looking for other people who are experiencing the same existential dread and, and negative emotions and whatever. And I think that in many ways, those types of platforms can be helpful to connect people with other people so that they can address what they're dealing with with somebody else right. and know that there's other people out there that are experiencing the same thing. But it's hard to regulate. Like, you basically can And there's no NSA equivalent in Japan. And even if there was, it it's not like they would... I don't see them as making that their top priority. You Probably know? not. So, yeah, I mean, it'll continue to be a problem. And I think it, it's it's just one of those aspects that is different about Japanese culture and the national character than it is in the United States. You know, like, we're crazy for violent crime. They have it, but it's, like, nothing like what it is here. And it was interesting. I think it was a couple days after I did all this research, I wound up on a, a website that was, it's, I think it's, it's a memorial website for everybody who, for gun violence in the United States. And basically, it sources internet, sources like newspapers and all the rest to create a memorial page for every single person who dies from gun violence, whether it's, I don't know if suicides is part of it, but... I wound up on it for like four hours and it was just insane. The amount of people like, you know, every day it's like tens or more people die from gun violence in this country. It's just fucking crazy. And, uh, you know, that's our problem. Japan has this suicide stuff. And part of what makes suicide club such an effective film is that it would be ridiculous. If you said it in America, it would feel much more ridiculous Whereas in Japan, it's like, this seems kind of believable. Like, especially because all the different elements are, like, it's all touches real Japanese cultural stuff. Yeah, so. and I mean, there's, you know, there's some articles I've read about, like, theories as to, like, why uh, suicide in Japan is so prevalent and, like, partially of it partially goes back to, like, uh, harikari and samurai traditions and stuff like that, but it's a whole other episode we could do, but... yeah. Um, yeah. So, yes, yeah, Shirashi is a huge piece of shit. I will be excited to hear him uh, be hung, you know, hear about that when that happens. Yeah, they and still do hang people. Yes, day, yes, right? they absolutely do. I think maybe they do firing squad too, but I think they're pretty big on the hanging there. And the Japanese penal system is wildly out of touch with uh, human rights principles of the modern Western world. And is famously so, and they're pretty unrepentant about it. Basically, if you're on death row, you can go at any time. And some people, they make them languish for like 15 years, and you never know. And it's like, I, my understanding is I think it's like total deprivation. Well, um, oh, what's his name? The, fuck. The guy who led the uh, cult. Which oh, Shinrikyo. Yeah. They just put him to death this year. Yeah. Yeah, it was a couple months ago. Yeah. And that uh, happened while ago Chicago or no it's uh yeah yeah right so you never know and basically like there are there is an appeals process and things like that but there's basically no transparency for people on the outside with what's happening inside of the jails and they're like yeah we don't need to and 
you know, the conviction rate in Japan's like 98%, but their crime rate is incredibly low. It's yeah. like, you know, 2% violent crime for the whole population. And for a city that has, or for a country that has such incredibly densely populated areas, it's insane that it is so low. In part, there's a much lower restriction or accessibility for firearms and things like that. It's definitely part of it. There's also just like, again, like a character of, Stuff is wildly underreported, so, like, sex crimes in Japan are just, like, not reported. It's, like, 2% of all of them, which is a problem with sex crime anywhere, but in Japan it's, like, so, so very bad, you know, that they they address it in ways of, like, we have an all-female car, you know, on the train and stuff like that so girls can go to and from school without getting molested, but literally every girl I knew from Japan when I lived there all had stories of, like, dudes jumping out of bushes naked, like, waving their dicks in front of them and all sorts of other, like, horrible unwanted shit like you know you just groping is part of growing up and well you literally cannot turn off the sound on your phone camera in japan in case you're trying to take lewd pictures of (laughs) unbeknownst females yeah that is an actual thing yeah and and you know and there is i'm sure lots of unreported violent crime i mean another big part of japanese culture is this saving face idea and it it affects everything, you know, because basically, like, you don't want to look bad, you don't want to look... It's not even just weak. It's just, like, you don't want to make a fuss, you don't want to show anything's wrong, so, like, people don't report crimes because they just, like, don't want to have to deal with it, own it, admit it, whatever. So, so yeah, so this was... This is not nearly as saucy or, uh, you know... It's not that it's not interesting, because I think it's everybody as interesting as the first episode we did... But it's, it's, it's a very different kind of thing. Like, it's, it's almost more depressing in a certain sense of, like, the people that they're preying on are just, you know, I mean, it's not to say, like, sex workers getting killed is any less or more worse. It's just... These people probably thought they were gonna find a friend, someone right. to talk to, and instead they found a piece of shit. Yeah, so... So yeah, so that's that's all we have tonight. Um, and what are, we, what are we doing? Cryptids next, or something like that soon, right? You have the list. I do have the list, and the list is not in front of me, so it's a mystery as of this moment. What we're going to be doing? Who knows? Yeah, uh, soon. I know that cryptids is on the agenda quite soon, and we've got some other good stuff along that line. You know, we really try to 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 keep from doing nothing but straight uh, true crime here because. There, there's a lot of good sources for that information out there on both podcasts and the web generally, and we're not just into true crime. So, you know, we Motel Hell is all about all things weird. You yeah. know, it's, it's we wear many creepy hats. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah. But thank you guys for joining us as always. We, you know, we're we're happy to hear any feedback or thoughts on any of our episodes. You know, let us know what you guys think. And from my perspective, I guess. We, we could both be considered weeaboos, I think, pretty fairly. Yeah, definitely. If you want to send us, if you have information either about these killers or, you know, other true crime in Japan that's worth looking into, we're definitely happy to do that. I think one of the things I would really like to do, and we probably will in the near future, is I'd like to talk about the Yakuza, not from the cool video game series or movies, but the actual Yakuza and what that has meant for Japanese politics, Japanese business, and corruption in Japan it's something I've studied and written papers on from high school all the way into law school, and I have a lot of books on it. It's endlessly fascinating. Um, so that'll probably come up in the next couple months, I would say. 
Um, but yeah, hit us up on our Instagram, Motel Hell Podcast. Facebook is the same. Gmail, you know, it's all all that Motel Hell Podcast, Motel baby. Motel Hell Podcast. And, and and the oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You're gonna say something. Oh uh, no, just uh, give us a like wherever you can. Um, please continue to write and review on iTunes. On iTunes, we've been getting a lot more listeners recently. Thank you guys. I. Honestly, didn't think we'd ever break 20s per episodes, but yeah. it's been pretty cool. You guys seem to be liking the Bearded Dicks musical fun time as well. Yeah, which is nice. So, you know, uh, the last thing I was going to say, I forgot. Oh, um, no. Last mention, are we've gotten a great response so far to the interview we did with Mike, our crime scene cleanup, human biohazard cleanup technician. We really had a blast doing that episode, and we're hoping you guys are enjoying it as much as we are. It looks like, at least from the listens, that's the case. Um, We do want to do more interviews in the future, and I recently talked to a friend of mine who works in a prison that specifically deals with people. It's like everybody is in there for some kind of sex crime related thing. And he doesn't work in the prison per se. He's not in law enforcement, but he has more of an administrative role and an understanding from a education background um, about a whole host of issues related to people that commit sex crime. And he's indicated to me he'd be definitely down to do an interview in the future. I think it'll be super interesting. It's It's like a heavy subject, but... I've talked to him before at length about what he does for work and it's, it's fascinating stuff because it's not really what you don't think too much about the people once they go to jail, you know? Yeah, no, not so so much unless they get murdered in there. Yeah. Right. So we're trying to bring you some new and different stuff over the, you know, we've been doing this for a year now, over a year. Over a year now. I mean, we originally started recording in, uh, July, no June, June of 2017. We didn't start posting until October, but yeah, it's been over a year. We've been up and live and all the rest, and we appreciate the continued support. And for those who have heard us grow from our shitty little thing into something more more serious, and, and we, we have really come to love and enjoy. So, Anyway, that's all we got for tonight's episode. Join us next week for our release of our new Bearded Dicks musical fun time, mm-hmm. and we'll see you later, nerds. Yeah, later, nerds.